0: Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. It is Tuesday afternoon. We have play-in games starting tonight and tomorrow night. Playoffs will officially begin on Saturday, May 22nd. Plenty of time for people to take what we teach them and make their plays. In a few minutes, we're going to have... Action Network Senior Editor Controlling Our NBA Coverage, Malik Smith, along with Action Network Senior NBA Writer, Analyst Extraordinaire, host of Heat Check on At Action Network HQ, host of our Beckcast that we did with the NBA this past year, Matt Moore. We're going to get to all that. Simon Hunter, my BFF my companion, my best friend in the world. How you doing?
1: Hey, Chad. Doing good, buddy. I had a nice weekend. How was your weekend?
0: My weekend was amazing. It was beautiful weather. I spent five hours on Saturday afternoon reading a book, and it was awesome. Hopefully outside. Yeah, I was outside. And then Sunday, it was like crappy weather for part of the day, so I got to watch a lot of NBA. I watched the Wizards, Hornets, Uh, The Hornets announcers continue to be, to me, after Stacey King and Adam Amin from My Beloved Bulls, the Hornets announcers are a revelation. Uh, I think his name is Eric Collins, the play-by-play guy for the Hornets. And he is so good and so fun. And that team is actually, they're going to be pretty decent. Like... I like the way Terry Razier has been playing. Obviously, we love LaMelo, PJ Washington, uh, Miles Bridges, Cody Zeller even plays hard. Like that team, that team's got a shot to be pretty good eventually. Not, not yet. Uh, and then I watched Steph. I watched Steph and the Warriors, and it was amazing on Sunday afternoon. Um, Simon.
1: Chad, you completely whiffed. I was going to, I thought you were going to talk about Justin Fields, rookie minicamp.
0: Well, I did watch every single second yeah. video from <laughs> Justin Fields. <laughs> Rookie minicamp. Uh, and I think he looked amazing. I think he was throwing a, a tight spiral. I think he was accurate. I think everybody was really excited about him. I can't wait for him to be QB three on the depth chart when the season opens and for the Bears to find a way to ruin him. I'm super excited about all of that.
1: I was gonna say this is the best because it's just a guy in shorts and a helmet and there, you can't go wrong right now. So this is like the happiest time of having a rookie quarterback. It's all happy right now.
0: I think it was 1999 when the Bears drafted Cade McNown uh, from UCLA in the first round. Maybe he was the 12th overall pick. And I had decided I had pitched to ESPN the magazine, and they had accepted when I was working there. A story about those first five days of a rookie minicamp, and almost like what happens from the second the draft ends until that minicamp is done because there's so much activity, right? So they really let me behind the scenes. And I was there when they were trying to sign uh, undrafted free agents. And you can talk about the domino impact that has on building depth on a team and whatever. But I also went to go meet Cade McNown at O'Hare. And I, they didn't tell me when he was coming in. I figured out what flight he was on and when he was coming in. And when I get there, nobody from the Bears was there. It was me standing by the baggage terminal. I see Cade McNown standing by himself grabbing a bag. And as I'm walking him out to the curb thinking I'm driving him to Hallis Hall, someone from the Bears shows up to drive him. But that's how the Bears treat their 1st round quarterbacks. Their future quarterback, Cade McNown, was by himself at baggage claim. And that was pretty much a metaphor for his entire experience in Chicago
1: pretty sure Justin flew private. So it's, it's definitely uh, updated since the times
0: have changed. Times have changed. How's uh, how was your date with your queen?
1: Oh, I got two dates. I don't even know how to put this out. It's just so weird. Like I, I tried not to tell her exact. I tried to I tried to tell her what I do without telling her what I do. And then unfortunately, I think someone told her about my life and like what I do to make a living. Again, if you're hearing it for like a third party, this like she probably thinks I live in Atlantic City and I go down there all the time where like I do. I'm in sports books, uh, Like I guess one third of the year I spend in some type of sports book doing something gambling wise. But at the same time, I'm not living in some hut like I, I don't know. I think she just got a perception on this like true full on degenerate, which. I am a degenerate, but I'm like a smart one where I pick my spots. So, yeah, she came in firing, I guess, two days after we had our date. I just have all this stuff she had heard. And I was just like, uh, I don't know how to defend myself via text. So I'm pretty much um, I I did something real ballsy. You're going to like this. I sent her my ex's phone number and I said, you can hit her up and ask her anything you want about me because she'll give you an honest opinion, all the good and the bad. Take what you want from it, but I'm not going to sit here and defend myself about the life I live. So I pretty much put the ball in her court because like, dude, I'm not going to quit my job for a queen. I don't care how amazing this queen is. I love my job. I love what I do. So it's like, you know, you can like me for me. If you don't love my job, it's kind of a package deal.
0: This is amazing. So uh, I do want to get to Malik and Matt, but I got two more questions on this and a comment, commentary. Uh, number one. Of course. Number <laughs> Number one, number one, um, number one. I know for a fact that you had two dates with her. I know you guys went out last Thursday night, and I know you were going out again on Friday night. I know this because we texted about it. And how did you? But we didn't get into detail. How did you not tell her what you did? Like that is that is usually coming up in the first few minutes of any conversation, any meet and greet. How, how do you be vague about that and have the conversation continue where she's not like this guy's sketchy?
1: I am very sketchy. I'll start off with that. But, uh, I did, I did tell her I did this show and I told her that like, I do work for the action network. Did I tell her I was a desert rat for years and lived in Vegas and like, I like have a second life kind of no. So, uh, I was going to get to that. It's just a lot to put on there. Like, I don't want this girl thinking I laundered money for all these years and I'm in like bed with them mafia, like anything crazy like that. Like I don't live some crazy life like that, but yeah, I've done a lot of shady stuff, like stuff in my life. So it was one of those where I'm willing to get to that, but on date two, I don't know. I didn't know how to bring that up. So we were good. That's what I mean. We were golden, but I think she just heard the outside noise. That's like, what can I do, man? That's, that's part of the deal.
0: So she hears the outside noise, by the way, I love, I love that we are now your cover story. That is amazing. You are, leading, you are leading in your, your attempt to get back into uh, to the romantic life. You are leading with, I'm an analyst for the Action Network and I co-host the podcast, The Favorites. If nothing else, I feel like I've given you a gift. Number one. Number two. Number two, uh, what, what did she ask you specifically? That you felt you had that you that put you on the defensive. Um,
1: she was like challenging me in the sense of uh, just about the whole sports betting thing. She was like, "How like what what do I what I like?" Pretty much was like asking, "Would you have to have like joint bank accounts?" And I was like, "Sure, but you'd have to sign a prenup." Like, I I mean, it's like that's what I mean. It's got a real aggressive conversation for two after two dates. So we got like. I don't know. I was just like hoping, you know, it it was one of those where I was hoping that it would be like a slow burn. I could get to know this chick and then start putting out all my demons. And she wants to know all the demons after two dates. And it's like, I mean, what normal, what normal relationship starts that way? So that's what I mean. It's already fractured, but I'm glad I got back out there. I mean, it's, it's nice to actually go on a date and be like, you know what? I can love again. So that's nice. I'm not crying myself to sleep anymore. So I'll take it.
0: I love that you can love again. (laughs) I love that you recognized the dangers in someone who's asking about joint checking accounts after two dates that included a walk on the boardwalk. Um, And this is what we're going to do. We're going to find you love and we're going to see if we can do it before football season because we know come football season, there's no competing for your time and attention. As you've stated publicly now, first, Action Network in the favorites. Second, anything else that comes along in the form of betting. Speaking of, oh, and finally the commentary I will give is it's hard to find a relationship that is healthy when you are a professional better.
1: Pretty much. I mean, in the sense that um, I work the weirdest hours. Like, again, I I told you all the time during the season for half the week, I'm up from 3am till 5am either doing work or just talking to people in Vegas. So it's like yeah, man. I, I, like, again, that's something I get into week, you know, dinner five or six. Um, that's not something I put out there, the first or second date.
0: <sighs> We're going to have to figure this out for you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> all right. Malik Smith, Matt Moore, NBA playoffs. I'm loving the play-in game. I love the concept of it. I know LeBron hates it, but he's a little bitter. And um, I also bet on the Lakers at plus four fifty, but, uh, it's amazing. Like Sunday was an awesome NBA day. Everybody was playing. There were so many things still at stake. Matt Moore as someone who has covered the NBA for a very long time, one of the best in the business, one of the most connected people. What was your, what is your take on this play in game after the end of a regular season?
2: I think it was great i think it's a i think it's a great way to keep teams in competition like there's a lot of conversation about like well actually you know memphis versus golden state would have been big anyway and i'm like look it's not about the last day of the season it's about every day before that for the last two weeks like the last two weeks of the regular season is usually a drag the teams are resting nobody wants to play it's just like yeah we're just kind of coasting into the playoffs and instead like Every night it was, Hey, you need to win this game. Cause if you don't, you're going to be two games from elimination. Hey, you need to win this game or you're going to be two games from elimination. Hey, you really need to win this game or you have no shot of getting out of the two spot. And the Lakers are probably going to be the seven spot. Like that the Lakers being in the position they did made it exceptionally insane, especially with the hijinks that we saw on Saturday, on Sunday nights between the Clippers, the Mavericks and the, and the nuggets. But In general, I think this mechanism has been great. I think these play-in games are going to be fantastic theater, and I think it's a really great dynamic that the league has added to
0: the end of the season. Malik, you are a lifelong New York Knickerbockers fan. In the first season of the play-in tournament, not including the bubble, the Knicks made it so lacking in drama. They end up with the four seed. They are the best team against the spread. Give me your assessment, your surprise, your feelings about the Knicks team, who – when they are good, people get so excited. And even Knicks haters, like they've been so bad for so long that there's sort of a curiosity cuddliness to the Knicks getting to where they are right now.
3: Um, first of all, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, love hearing uh, Simon's love stories. I love your, your, your go-getter attitude, Chad, that you've been, been giving him the, the positivity. Uh, as far as the Knicks go,
0: let me uh, just say one thing. I love that people are coming on and supporting Simon's pursuit of love. I love that we are a community that is open to the idea of love, open to the idea of vulnerability, open to uh, supporting each other through all of these things. Who I love, love love. Right? I love
3: love. Um, and I love the Knicks. And uh, they've been very fun to love this year, uh, although they've broken my heart so many times. Um, I've heard a lot of backhanded compliments on the Knicks this year. Um, I will say that I am surprised only in that they have continued to be good. And like, there's a thing that the, the, the Knicks have done for the majority of my adult life, I will say, where they start the season off and they're like, okay, maybe they're not terrible. They're not great, but they're not terrible. Uh, and then around January, they just fall off the face of the earth. And then it's just like, okay, well, who are we drafting next year? Uh, so it was nice not to have to do that this season. Uh, I, I think what's really been impressive, uh, especially in the the stretch that they managed to go on uh, in April was how unbelievable the offense has been. Um, the defense was great all season, but the offense has really, really carried this team. Uh, so yeah, I am very surprised. I definitely thought we would fall into the play in tournament, which I was fine with. Cause I figured we've been so terrible for so long. Literally any amount of success is good success. My favorite thing to say before every next season is that we're going to win 30 games. Cause it's like, it's good enough to not suck, but like, you know, it's not high expectations. So I really won't be let down if they don't get there. Um, they clearly have outplayed every bit of expectation that they have. And normally I would be worried about that, but I actually feel like this team thinks it's as good as it is. Maybe that they're even better than they are. Uh, and, and I think that's going to carry with them into the postseason. So um, yeah, I, I think everything is looking up and, and yeah, yeah the, the NBA is way better when the Knicks are good. Um, everyone knows it. Anyone who doesn't agree is just a hater. Uh, and there's a lot of haters out there and uh, I've been pretty humble. I'm pretty humble this season, Chad. So if I talk a lot of craziness in this podcast, like uh, just, just, you know, feel free to, 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 to calm me down because it might get crazy. I might get a little wild.
0: I would like to see you uh, get a little wild and speak in a tone of voice in three years of working closely with you. It's never been outside of this timber. No, no. matter how intense the conversation, no matter how much pressure we were under, this was your voice every single time.
3: Well, I'm a true professional.
0: You are. You're a total pro. Um, (laughs) Matt Moore. Simon, do you have a question before I I move on to the next thing?
1: I do. I do. I have a few questions here, but I'll start here with Golden State. 45 to 1 to win the West. Am I an idiot that I bet on that? Because I just love Steph Curry. I just feel like the value is there that he can literally will that team if he can make it into the playoffs to do something crazy like pull off a run in the West.
2: So I had a uh, Warriors 14 to one before the clay injury. Um, Justin fan. And I both bet the Warriors to win the title before the clay Thompson injury. Uh, Justin got the better number than me because that's how annoying he is that he always gets a better number than me. But like, I, I saw it before the clay injury. I don't love it now. Like, yes, like 45 to one is like, that's crazy. And that's, and that's like, a, you know, it's like Steph Curry. How could Steph Curry be 45 to one? It's just that you really got to look at it and go, the NBA playoffs are so built on a certain number of parameters. And like, I'll be coming back to this a lot is that there are certain things that are tried and true in the NBA playoffs in the modern context, like last five seasons about where the playoffs have evolved to. And one of them is like, okay, your star, your star is going to have a big game. Their star is going to have a big game. Like, that's how it works. Uh, Your second guy is going to have a pretty big game. And that's Draymond Green, which for him means like five taking charges and some blocks and steals and like maybe 10 assists and eight points. If hopefully he hits a number of shots, uh, maybe double digit scoring. And then like the question after that is like, all right, who's your next weapon? And for the golden state warriors, their next best weapon is probably Andrew Wiggins, which means that you have to be like, yeah, I'm putting money down that Andrew Wiggins is going to be my third guy or want to scan out Anderson or Jordan Poole, Like the rest of the warriors they play well right now because they're all playing like really high level defense and Steph's insane. And that's a good model. And I think it makes them a good value play in certain spots, but to do that over the course of the play in tournament, a first round series, a second round series, and then the conference finals, that is a lot to bank on. So I can't go with you on that. I can't deny that like 45 to one is a crazy number, but Golden, we get really excited when Steph hits a lot of threes and we overlook the of what the Warriors have been overall, which is for most of the season, they were a 500 team.
1: Yeah, because I had a friend who had a, his argument was, We haven't had a dirt in a while. Like a dirt wills a team all the way to the NBA finals, he wins it all. And my argument, then we had that with Kawhi. Wasn't that kind of what Kawhi was, or do you think Kawhi had enough superstars talent around him where? That really wasn't comparable to Dirk. Like, we are due for a superstar to carry just a team by himself all the way to the NBA Finals.
3: Malik? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the Kawhi situation was different. Obviously, uh, Siakam kind of made a jump in the middle of the playoffs. Um, Matt hates uh Fred VanVleet for, for going off the way he did. But, I mean, they, they had guys who just completely came out of nowhere and stepped up. So, yes, it's possible, but to Matt's point, like – this run that Steph has been on basically the last 23 games, he's averaging like 36.9 points, but like some ridiculous number. And to Matt's point, the next highest scoring player is Andrew Wiggins. Obviously, basketball is not all about scoring points. Technically, it is, but it's not. Uh, but if, if you're asking me to trust like Andrew Wiggins to be that guy throughout the playoffs, like if I'm even in this playing game, like if I'm LeBron, yeah, I'm letting all the rest of those jokers shoot. If, as long as like they can all shoot all they want. I won't let Steph go off or I'll lock all those other guys down and let Steph try to score a hundred points, which I mean, he probably could do, but it, like at a, at a certain point, he's going to get tired, right? He's the, 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 difference between you could even go back to 2018, right? Like when LeBron went on that crazy run, the team that he had around him wasn't great, but outside of the fact that he's LeBron James, he's six, eight. So he can handle the pounding that it would take for him to go through each round as an underdog and, and keep beating these teams. We know Steph can do amazing things. I just don't know that Steph can do amazing things uh, throughout the postseason. Um, but I mean, at 45 to one, I, I would, it's obviously nice if you have that little bit of glimmer of hope that he could just continue to be insane, which, you know, the more he keeps doing it, the more exciting it's going to be. And, and the more you're going to kind of be like, Hmm, Maybe I should throw this thing on
0: Pratswell. There's no way the Warriors are winning the finals. 45 to one is an idiotic bet. I cannot believe we even entertained that question before we get to my next question, uh, which involves the Lakers involves a more rational bet. Like I made um, and involves the Lakers and the Warriors in the playing game. We do have two games tonight. And and if anybody does download this podcast from the time that, it posts until the games begin. Indiana is a two-point favorite over Charlotte. Boston is about a two-and-a-half-point favorite over, um, over Washington right now. Uh, check out the Action Network app. It's free. Download it. Get everything we're talking about in there. Get the lines. Get the updates. Get the picks, etc. cetera. Um, Matt or Malik, do you have any strong opinions on either Boston, Washington, or Indiana and Charlotte.
2: Love the Hornets. Love the Hornets. I love yes. that before Karis LeVert news. So Karis LeVert has been ruled out with health and safety protocols. He has been the thing that has lifted them up. Uh, you can find updates on the Pacers injury situation in our labs, insiders tool on actionnetwork.com. Demonis Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon are both questionable. They are expecting Sabonis to play. Brogdon's a lot bigger question mark because he's got a hamstring injury. You press that thing too much and it's going to pop and then you're going to miss it and then he's going to have to miss the entire playoffs. And so what's the point? Like if you re aggravate that, so they got to be real cautious with Brogdon. No Levert, Brogdon on a bad hamstring. Here's the bigger thing though. I, I did an article a few weeks back on actionnetwork.com. Uh, Malik and I kind of game planned out this, this article and it looks at what are the things that make teams good in the regular season versus what they're good when they're good in the playoffs? And one of the biggest things that make teams good in the playoffs is defensive versatility, specifically if you can switch. Okay. The Hornets switch and pick and roll situations. The second most of any team in the NBA, the Indiana Pacers have the second worst scoring mark versus switching defenses in the NBA. The Pacers still have a problem with creating enough threes. Nate Bjorken for all of his problems that he's, had with the Pacers was supposed to like revitalize the offense. They're still a low point, low three point shooting team when teams hit 13 or more threes versus them. They're nine and 17 this season. The Charlotte Hornets average 13 made threes per game. They bomb from deep and they switch everything. I love this matchup. I was kind of hesitant going in because Charlotte without Gordon Hayward has been so rough. I do think they're going to win this one. I can't take him I don't think in the next round versus either Boston or, uh, Indiana, or I'm sorry, versus the Wizards. I already took though, I took Wizards to make the playoffs at plus 450. So I'm already on the Hornets, but I'm especially on them in this game versus Indiana. I like the spot for them a lot.
0: The Pacers coaching situation is interesting. This was a guy who came in so heralded, assistant to Nick Nurse, uh, had come up through the ranks, you know, that, that, um, that coaching tree and gets there and it feels like, honest to God, Players are yelling at him as they go up and down the floor, almost mouthing off to him. What, what is going on there? Like Malik, you're shaking your head, Matt, both of you, Malik, you first. How did this thing go off the rails and what is he doing wrong to make everybody hate him? It
3: seems like they just, everything is off, right? Like nothing is going well. I mean, they, they've had injuries kind of hanging over their head all season. And I think that probably just set them off in, in, in the wrong uh, uh, direction, uh, right? Depot when he was still on the team, was kind of coming back from an injury. He was already hurt. TJ Warren was out early. Um, Sabonis has been in and out. Brogdon's been in and out. Uh, Miles Turner's out. Um, like, they, they, just the chemistry of the team, I think, is just generally off. Um, he's a new coach. Personally, I don't understand why they got rid of Nate McMillan. He was, uh, I think, at least... They, you know, granted, they, they weren't winning championships or competing for championships, but they were better than they are this season, even though they have basically the same roster. Uh, I think I, I my guess is that he came in and he wanted to do certain things that the players didn't want to do. Uh, and that clashing just continued and continued. Um, Matt, obviously, might have more intel than I would. But I, I think overall, like you, you just they just took a lot of hits this season. And, and when you're the coach. Uh, I think oftentimes you get blamed for that. They probably shouldn't have trade changed coaches in general uh, from last season. And as a Knicks fan, I know a lot about uh, coaches being fired for no reason. Um, But I I think overall, like, you you know, you come in and if you don't, if the guys don't click with you right away, it's kind of hard for you to pick it up in the middle of the season, especially when the season starts to get tough and things get, you know, really difficult and guys are in and out and people are injured. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a, a struggle for, for the Pacers really from the start. Um, and I, I, I think everyone's just kind of upset at each other because they aren't as
2: good as they were expecting to be. I think mostly look, the, the deal is he's a great X's and O's coach and everybody on that team is kind of vouched for that. they like, they like the X's and O's side of it. Sabonis in particular, when that first month when they were just crushing it was real high on how they were playing. Now, part of that's because the bonuses usage has gone up. Like he gets the ball more and gets more shots and, and assists, but which helps his bonuses. Uh, I think McMillan was probably a casualty of not wanting to pay more money, especially uh, with the economic downturn caused by the pandemic. Like these things are all connected. You have to follow the dots. Um, When it comes to York I think the biggest thing to keep in mind with York is he's really good at X's and O's, but he never really connected with them. And in the NBA You can't just, it's not college. You don't get to just bark at guys. That's not how it works. The power dynamic is so radically different and you have to adjust for that. And part of it is you're coming from an assistant often have this difficulty where they get to yell at guys because the head coach is the one that manages the relationships. And then they take over and they have to manage the relationship and the X's and O's and the media and the conversations with the executives and all of that. And that gets to be, a problem and that's really what it comes down to is it's not that he's not a good coach it's that nobody wants to play for him because they hate him and that's been the issue now mcconnell's pushback back on it sabonis has pushed back on it holidays pushed back on it there's been some pushback on the reports it's clear that there are people in the organization like the, the reporting done on that by jake fisher at si like he's real he's he is he's reputable he's reliable um from what I understand, it's, it's one of those situations where, yeah, like there are guys that think it's that bad. Like that's the difference is whenever there's these situations, you always have people that are like, yes, it is that bad. And then you have some people are like, well, oh, it's bad, but it's not that bad. And then you have some people there are like, well, I don't have a problem with it. And like, those are the, the kind of separate situations that have un, uh, unfolded. I do think though, it makes the Pacers really difficult to back in high leverage situations because they do not have like, you got to stay together when things get tough in the playoffs And I don't have any faith that they can do that in a play-in tournament, let alone a playoff series.
1: Don't you guys think this line is a trap? Like, it feels like everything you just said makes this seem like too good to be true. And I don't get why the bookmakers really haven't moved it much. It's moved maybe a point, point and a half since opening at three. It's just interesting that people seem like they're coming in heavy on the Hornets and it really hasn't moved that much on the Pacers side.
2: It went up and then it went up to four and then it came back down and it dipped down to one and a half. Uh, and that's uh, that's where it was a little while ago, and now it's back up to two. So like it's these in games actually have bounced all over the place. Like we could talk about that with Celtics Wizards too. The, the Wizards like Wizards initially opened minus one, then a bunch of books came out at Celtics minus one, and so the other books followed them, and then it moved to Celtics minus two, and then there was a move back on the Wizards. Like that's what's been fascinating with these in games. Nobody knows how to bet it, and so you have right. like a, you have a lot of line movement coming in that I think has influenced it. I will say this. I think the Hornets, most of the Hornets are going to look bad in models. Right. So like in my whole thesis is they're better built for these one game environments or specific playoff series than they are across the regular season. No Gordon Hayward. Right. And then the other thing is just like the Pacers are going to model better because they had that early surge that helped their like point differential and all their advanced metrics. They're going to get power rated and they're, they're at home. So with, with fans. So like there's, I, those factors to me, I, I agree that if you look at it, you're like, wait, wait how does Levert going out? Not move this. I think it's mostly look. The bonus is going to play. Brogdon's going to play. They have more talent. The, the, the Hornets don't have Gordon Hayward and the Hornets don't model as a very good team. I like the Hornets in specific matchups very well. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I think this line is produced the way House. All
1: right. Ben and grand
0: Oh God. Uh, oh. uh I bet Matt, the I, I'm not, I didn't bet you, I bet, comma Matt Moore, comma the Lakers at plus 450 when they were basically at their lowest point late in the season. You had an article on ActionNetwork.com Network, talking about when to bet the Lakers for the NBA title. Put that in context of the play-in game against the Warriors. So my argument
2: was, go ahead and wait. Um, I, I reached out to bookmakers and actually asked them how much are the, are the Lakers' odds going to move if they make it out of the play-in, and they said not much. It's already factored in. Like most things with lines, the bookmakers are ahead of you. They already when the when the Lakers basically when the uh, Blazers beat the Lakers a few weeks ago, that put into motion a series of events where the Lakers were likely to wind up as seventh. They were projected there increasingly as, as the weeks went on and the bookmakers obviously knew that. And so they knew that there was they had to factor in the inherent risk that the Lakers could lose twice and be bounced. And so that's already priced in, but the difference is they're expecting them to win. Anyway, their implied probability is extremely high. So after the play in tournament, those numbers are not going to go down much like there's not an expectation of them go there's a 500 that's floating out there between 400 and 500 is where you can find it at most places i don't expect it to dip any depending on what book you use any further than like 350 i don't think it'll go any lower than that after the play in if at all like some bookmakers were like we're not going to move it it's that's what we we expect them to win they're staying there so you're still going to get good value and my argument was wait till after the play in and that way you don't get hit with uh, Steph goes off for 45, Contavius Caldwell-Pope misses eight threes, and then the following game, LeBron tweaks his ankle, and John Morant hits a, a buzzer beater. Like, these two-game environments, that's why LeBron was so mad, is he knows, like, if you don't have it one night, if it's just, like, the shots aren't falling and the other team's rolling, that's it. You're going home. That's why he was so mad about it, and so – From my perspective, um, I think the best value is to wait until after the play-in tournament. They will win. I feel confident they're going to win. They're going to win one of them, come hell or high water or whatever else has to happen. And after that, I think you can definitely still get a really good price on the Lakers to win uh, the Western Conference title and to make the playoffs. Now, bear in mind, like I already have the Lakers about a million ways from throughout the season, from preseason, especially I have Lakers. Like I've added Lakers, Nets, finals, matchups throughout the season at various prices. So like, I'm not, you know, that that's something to consider, but I do think that there's um, a significant value in waiting to make sure you don't get burned by this play in tournament with LeBron on a bad ankle in a really weird season. And
1: before I get to my Sixers question, Malik, have you ever heard of a seven or eight seed being favored over a one or two seed that we might see with the Lakers? Like, is this, are we seeing history right now? Yeah, it's kind of
3: wild, right? Especially because of all the things that that Matt was saying. I feel like there's there's a lot of people who think that LeBron's just gonna somehow. It, it, we've seen him be superhuman most of his career, if not all of his career, right? But like, he clearly he the, the, what they played the the Pelicans in the final game. He does that spin move toward the end, and he kind of got up and he was limping. And I think everyone was like, "Oh Jesus, here we go again." Um, So, yeah, I think it is kind of interesting that everyone just assumes that the Lakers, even if they win against uh, the Warriors and have a little bit of rest time, should be, for some reason, favored against the Suns, who are a really, really good team. It'll be a great series, I think. And I think the Lakers have a very good chance at winning. I think they have a good chance at beating any team if they're healthy, but they're not. So I think there's this perception that the Lakers will just somehow manage to get healthy magically. Um, and, and that's not necessarily going to be the case. Uh, I, I think they're, we have to look at them as a different team. They, are, they have a lot of the same players. They have all the experience and all of those things. But LeBron's not the same version of himself that he has been in the past. And I think that fundamentally changes how we look at this team. I still think that the Lakers have the talent to make the finals. Uh, but it's not as a foregone conclusion as people are making it seem like, oh, RIP to the Suns. Uh, but they have to play the Lakers in, in, you know, the first round. I think the Suns are looking at it like, bring it on. I, you tell me Chris Paul doesn't want to beat uh, LeBron James, uh, you know, in, in the playoffs. Like I, they don't seem to be afraid. They're not, they don't seem to be ducking anyone. They're like, Hey, if we, if we end up playing them, then we're going to play them. And, and whoever wins wins.
1: So we talked about it last week. I, I couldn't get over that. I thought there was just a ton of value on the Sixers. And I'm wondering what your guys view and approaches to them, this playoffs where, We talked last week, they're plus 400 to win the East. Now they're down to plus 300. They're plus 1,000 to win the NBA championship. Now they're down to plus 700, a lot of books. So I'm just wondering, obviously, people are coming in on the Sixers now. Do you guys actually view this team with, you know, we knowing what we know about Embiid. Is he the kind of guy that he can really carry this team through the playoffs and they're going to be one of these teams that can't actually make a trip to the finals?
2: I would bet no. I'll tell you that right now. Um, So a lot of it comes down to... And B this season was literally the third best mid-range shooter in the entire NBA. Those are difficult shots to make. And he's done it consistently throughout the entire season. He's a volume mid-range shooter. Like, that's a lot of it. The bigger problem, honestly, is that he's got a 20% turnover rate when doubled. Through the course of a season, as they get used to it, like, there are certain matchups I think he's just going to wreck. Like, he'll just wreck certain matchups. And honestly, like they, one of the reasons I think they're odd shortened was when they started to lock up that one seed, because they avoid that bucks net second round slugfest that we're going to see. And the team that comes out of that may be exhausted. Like there are like Raheem Palmer, our colleague that joins us on the action network NBA podcast. He, one of his like going mode paradigms going into these playoffs is that the nets and bucks winner is going to be exhausted and the Sixers are going to be able to beat up on them. My concern is that I think you need pull-up shooting. I think you need guys that when it gets into crunch time, you can go to and be like, that guy's going to have to get you a bucket off the bounce. Tobias Harris is like your, maybe your second or third option there. It's not going to be Ben. I love Ben. I think Ben Simmons... Should be defensive player of the year. I bet him too. He's not going to win, but I think he's phenomenal. I think he's underrated. I also think he's taking a step back with how the team has evolved. And I wonder what that means for his future. It's not going to be Seth Curry. Seth's a spot-up shooter. It's not going to be Danny Green. Same deal. Shake Milton. Like, I like Shake. I like Shake a lot. Tyrese Maxey. I like those guys a lot. That's not who I want taking shots if they're trading buckets late down the stretch versus Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, not to mention Giannis, um, or... Katie, Kyrie, Harden, like that gets very difficult. The Sixers have built their, their season success on defense and bead and spot up three point shooting, which is a pretty good model. If Embiid was a little bit better passer, but he's not. And so when they start to run up against schemes that are specifically designed to mess with him, I have concerns about their ability to get through. I don't think it's a bad bet. They're a very good overall team. Like if you're just betting, like, I want to bet on like the the strongest team, but they're number one in the East for a reason. They've been great. They're on off metrics with Embiid are the best. Like they're better than Jokic is. They're better. The Sixers are better with Embiid on court than the Nuggets are when Jokic is on the court, which is pretty impressive considering Jokic is going to win MVP.
0: I just Uh, don't know
2: if the playoffs are going to, are going to be the same deal.
0: Well, it's so interesting with the Sixers and it's interesting, you know, the Sixers and what's interesting, Daryl Morey, who, you know, spent so many years reimagining what offenses look like in uh, Houston and living and dying by the three point shot, the efficiency of making a shot that's worth three versus two. All of a sudden, he's got this team because it's built around Embiid that is entirely different offensively. And they've been incredibly effective and, and a, a really powerful team offensively. And it's reflective of what has happened this entire year. Greatest season in two-point shooting history in the NBA, 53%. Greatest three-point shooting season, 37%. Greatest foul shooting season, 78%. Two questions. Is now the time to start fading high-powered offenses, betting on against high totals, and believing that the best team defensively has the best chance to win the NBA playoffs, to win the title? Matt, you start. Two questions, answer them both, please. I think
2: for me specifically, you have to go with it based off of matchups. I think the NBA playoffs are all about matchups. I think it's not just player versus player, which is how we've traditionally thought of it. It's what can you do? Like, I've started to reimagine defense this way. It's not about how good your defense is. That's why Utah, it's been a top five defense every single season the last five years, hasn't made the conference finals. It's not about how good your defense is, which is why Milwaukee, the best defense in the league the last two seasons, has only made the conference finals once and hasn't made the finals despite all their firepower. It's can you solve the defensive problem in front of you? It's when presented with these different Situations from series to series, can you adapt? Right, the Lakers can adapt. They're physical. They can play eighty at five. They can switch. They can hedge. They can blitz you. They can trap you. They can drop and, make, and say, "Make we're going to make you make jump shots." They can do whatever they need to. The Nets surprisingly actually profile this way. But if you're asking me, like with all these offenses, is it across the board going to be lower? I think the numbers are going to reflect for that because they expect. It, to be tougher, I think your numbers are like the totals are going to go down, it's going to be tighter. I think, in general, it's more about finding situations where you know what, this team performs really well versus what that team does, and they can't do anything else. Like, I think Portland and Denver is a good situation here to look at this. Portland can't play anything but drop, that's what they do is like they just drop in pick and roll situations, okay? But one of the things that they do is they stay home on shooters. The Nuggets don't have a pick-and-roll creator now that Jamal Murray's out. Will Barton's banged up. They don't have one. So that's a series I'm probably going to be looking at unders. But other ones, I think I'm probably going to be looking for overs, especially like I think Miami-Milwaukee is a series I'm probably going to be leaning towards the over to start with based off of how those two teams can attack one another.
0: Malik, you know what this means? What's that? Take it back to the beginning the New York Knickerbockers are shaping up as a value play to win the NBA title because of their ferocious defense and their underrated offense.
3: I would love, love, love to believe that that is true. Uh, but as much as I've watched this team, I think Matt made a really good point about matchups, right? They unfortunately don't have uh, uh, Mitchell Robinson playing center and as great as the defense has still been and as fantastic as Nerlens Noel has been, he's really undersized, right? So if they end up, let's say they get out of the you know first round and they play the Sixers, as, as much as I think that the Knicks are a great team and that they'll fight as hard as you possibly can and take their pound of flesh, as people love to say, they're just undersized. Like, Embiid can just bully them down low. I mean, what are you going to throw, Taj Gibson and there was no I'm like, he's just going to feast all day. So um, the the defense, I think, will definitely carry the Knicks past the first round. I feel very confident in that. I think we match up well with a team like Atlanta. Um, But I I, I don't think that just because they have a great defense all season, uh, that they'll be able to somehow, that'll mask the fact that that, you know, Nernal's Noel just makes amazing plays, amazing blocks. Right. But like, you could just, just beat him up. Right. I would just absolutely beat him up down low. And that that's kind of what I'm worried about with them now, if somehow or another Mitchell Robinson can come back in the middle of the playoffs and maybe kind of give them a little bit of a a boost and, and, you know, as a backup center um, coming off injury, maybe, maybe I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, downplay my own team here. Uh, but, but, but I don't see that being the case because I just don't think that they match up well with teams that have big centers that can
1: really bruise them down low. All right. That's that's what, that's what I don't get though. Like the six, my whole Sixers point is like you talked about the, they're going to get beat up. The Bucks and Nets are going to be battling and they're going to come play the Sixers at home. So the Sixers say they win game one against either of those teams. What do you make that serious price if it's the net of the bucks? Aren't you like, is there, aren't you finding yourself an amazing hedge position? Even if you take the Sixers now plus 300, where no matter what Sixers win game one, they got home court. They're going to become a favorite either, if even if they're playing the nets or the bucks.
2: Yeah. I think that's a good, I think that's actually a really, that's a really good position to take. Right. Because I will say this, if the Sixers win game one and it's the nets, I think they're still dogs. I think the Sixers are still dogs. I think if the Bucks lose game one, then this probably goes from like the Bucks as a slight dog to Bucks as a more significant dog after Game One, and maybe that's when you can hedge. Um, I think that that's like probably the best spot. The Nets are going to be hard; like they'd have to go go down O two in order to get to be. I think the dog, the, the number you're going to want to hedge. So like that's really the pr- now. This is the counter to that, though, is you're like, well, look, if it's the Nets, I'm good anyway, because their center options are DeAndre, Jordan, and Claxton. And Claxton is much like Noel, great switch defender, can't handle Embiid in the post. Jordan is more physical, but the Nets overall defense, it does have some leaky spots in it. So even if Embiid struggles a little bit with the, those doubles, they can scheme out ways for him to pass out of it and make another pass and then be able to hit wide open shooters on the other side, like that's where the Nets struggle. Like I can give you the argument there that that's a pretty decent matchup. I think Milwaukee honestly is like the scarier matchup for them. Like everyone's out on Milwaukee, and the Bucks I think are a much scarier matchup. They got Brooke Lopez who is a mountain of a man. That dude is huge, and they will still send doubles. And is gonna get his, but the question is, can you beat the overall firepower of what Milwaukee brings? And like that's a different question. That's what's really fascinating is that is that Nets Bucks one. I don't know where to where to go with it. I really don't. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, once those two teams get up 2-0, and I don't have to worry about them getting upset, I'm transitioning and just going to be doing deep dives on nets bucks to try and figure that one out. But in the, in the conference finals, the nets are this heavy favorites. Like I would probably go like the other way where it's like the nets are the favorite to win the Eastern conference. I think you're going to get a good price on the Sixers to win that series. If they're in the Eastern conference finals, if it's
0: net Sixers. All right. Time for rapid fire. Here's what I want. No explanation. Each of you give me your finals matchup. Simon, you're first.
1: Right, this feels like it's pretty easy. It feels like everyone's overthinking it. Sixers, Clippers. Block it up. Feels like that's what it's been destined to be all season. That's what it's going to be. so Sixers and Clippers.
0: Malik.
3: I'm going to say Lakers, Bucks. Matt
0: Moore.
2: Clippers, Nets.
0: Wow. It's crazy that we're all going with different matchups. I'm going with Clippers-Bucks. Wow, Millman, that is insane. This has been the Favorites podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. The Volume is now on YouTube. We'll be uploading new episodes and clips daily, including some past interviews and moments from all of our shows. Go subscribe to our YouTube Channel at youtube.com backslash the volume. For Matt Moore, for Malik Smith, for Simon Hunter, I am chad Nolan. Download us from Apple Podcasts, from Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. We will be back on Thursday for the Thunderdome. Until next time. Love you.